Excuse me, good morning everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Tim Shorey, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and it is just a delight to, I'm hearing some back sound there. Um, it's, it's a delight to be together and I know I'm looking out, I'm seeing uh, some faces that I don't recognize and I'm just uh, grateful to the Lord that uh, you've chosen to be with us uh, here today. And um, we hope that you've already enjoyed and been blessed by the experience of our worship. Uh, and we would want you to know that, uh, as was said earlier, we are, we are a hospital for those that are spiritually sick. This is not a museum where there are people who are perfected and beautiful and glorious. Uh, we're a bunch of sinners, uh, but we have a Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And our desire is that you hear him today much more than that you hear us today. So uh, our um, plan and pattern as a church is to just preach God's Word, to preach the Bible. And uh, we take books of the Bible and just preach our way from the beginning through the end over a period of weeks and months. And uh, we are currently in a study in the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible with you uh, this morning, uh, please turn to, the, to Colossians chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible or would like a copy of uh, the Bible for yourself, would you just please raise your hand? We have some copies that we're happy to give to you. Anybody that needs a Bible here today? Okay, we look, look good. Okay, very good. Colossians chapter 3. And if you are there, skim down to verse 11, where we pick up our reading of a letter that, that God gave to a man named Paul uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, a letter that God gave to him to send to a very diverse congregation in a town called Colossae. Uh, and as we read the text for the day, I think you will find that contrary to what a lot of people say and think about the Bible, many people think the Bible is irrelevant, the Bible is out of date. I think as we read this text, you will realize, no, it is very relevant, and, and we need the Bible. We need God's Word now more than ever. Listen, as I begin reading in verse 11. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. Here, that is, here in Christ, who's creating a new humanity, that's what we've talked about in recent weeks. Uh, here in the church, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you by your Spirit please give light to our minds and to our hearts that we might see things that will change us, see things that will transform us, see things that will make a difference in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, in your church, and in the world. Lord, show us that Your Word is indeed relevant for all times and every place and every life. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. I'd like to suggest to you that passages like this in Scripture are almost breathtaking in their their beauty and uh, in the wonder and a joy that they inspire within us. If, if you want a, a real look at what real Christianity looks like, turn to passages like this. Please, please don't turn to the extremists that are way over here on the right or way over here on the left and say, oh, those are Christians and we don't want to be like them. Uh, don't look at the bad examples. Look at a text of Scripture like this and say, this is what God is calling us to. This is what it's all about. May God make this the reality in our lives. And as we look at this text today, there's really one verse that's going to be our primary focus, and that's verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I'm going to suggest today that this text, together with the preceding context that Pastor Alex proclaimed a couple of weeks ago, reveal to us what I'm calling five identity markers followed by five action items. Five identity markers followed by five action items. If we don't know these identity markers, what our identity is as those who follow Jesus, if we don't know who we are, then we're not going to live well in relationship with other people. It is as we know who we are in Jesus, what it really means to be a Christian, loved and rescued by God. It's as we understand that, that we are transformed to love and serve and care for other people. So, Let's take a few minutes to notice these identity markers so that we understand our identity. We, 
We use the language of identity a lot in our culture today, right? And, and people are very, very concerned about their identity. They, they are trying to find themselves. They are trying to be themselves. And there's all kinds of confusion. And usually in our culture, people have the wrong primary identity markers. We are not primarily male or female. We are not primarily urban or rural or black or white or brown or blue or Asian or Hispanic. We are not primarily free or slave or oppressed or oppressors or victims or victimizers. We are not primarily rich or poor or educated or uneducated or leader or follower or blue collar or white collar. We are not primarily good-looking or less so or slim or overweight or cool or uncool. And yet in our culture, right, these are the identity markers. These, this is how people define themselves by one or another of these. But what is our identity? Well, one thing that can be said for every single human being on the planet and throughout all of history is that every one of us has been made in the image of God. That all of us share something that is unique to us as human beings. We are made in God's image, made like God, made to reflect God's character, His dignity, His glory in this world. Now that image, sadly, has been defaced and marred and disfigured by all kinds of the junk that we do. It's been broken and spray-painted with all kinds of ugly stuff. But the fact remains that if you are a human being, and I think that covers everybody in this room, if you are a human being, you are made in the image of God and therefore have dignity and value just on that basis alone. But we must admit that together with our dignity, there is some depravity together with that which makes us unique and gives us honor. There is a tremendous amount of sin and guilt and shame that disfigures our lives. And so, it isn't enough just to be made in the image of God. We need to find our identity even further in who God says we are and who God wants us to become. And in this text, can I suggest very quickly, there are five identity markers for us. Especially if we are in Christ, meaning if we have come to that place in our life where we have surrendered to Jesus, we've realized that He is real, He is Lord, He is God, He came here to earth, He lived a perfect life, He died on the cross to take away our sins, He rose from the dead victorious over death, He is alive today, He is sitting on a throne in heaven, and He is ruling until He has remade everything for His glory, and then He's going to come back, and He's going to make it perfect forever and ever. If you have surrendered to Him, uh, then these five identity markers belong to you. Number one, we are new creations. 
New creations. Verse 10 of Colossians 3 says, We have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Alex spoke of this a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into death, but just to say, we have a new self. We are new creations. We are no longer dead in sin, but we are alive by the power of God. We have been radically redeemed and remade and renewed by God. We are new creations. Secondly, we are absolute equals. Absolute equals. Look at verse 11. Here, it is here in the church, here in Jesus. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. I've had the privilege of being a pastor for a long time. But I have to say that this phrase in recent months has affected me at least as much as virtually any other phrase in Scripture in in recent time. Christ, talking about us, with all of our diversity, with all of our ethnic diversity and cultural diversity and religious diversity in our past, with all of our education diversity and all of that, Christ is all. And Christ is in all. It's a stunning statement of our identity as as those who trust in Jesus. Christ is all and in all. Let's, Let's face it, every one of us, every one of us at some time or another are given to prejudice and feelings of superiority over others. We, we prefer our kind to that kind, and we think we're better and they're worse. And this text of Scripture just smashes all of that. This text of Scripture says there are no betters or worse. There are no unequal value human beings in Christ. All of us are one and equal in Christ. Christ is all, which in Colossians chapter 1 meant Christ is preeminent over everything. He is the maker and the sustainer and the ruler of everything. He is on the throne. There are all kinds of thrones and there are all kinds of powers, but you just keep going up the, the escalating throne scale. Eventually you'll get to the top. And on the top, there is one named Jesus. And He is all and in all, and all other authorities and powers, and all other persons, and whatever else is in the universe, He is above them all. He is all, and He is in all. And He is all (laughs) in the sense that He is, as we just sang, forever enough. And always enough. And more than enough. He is all. He is forever enough. And He is always enough. And He is more than enough. He is all. He is all. He is all that. 
And He is all that for all of us who are in Him. We are therefore on level, equal ground and standing before Him. Equally, apart from Christ, we're equally sinners and equally lost. In Christ, we are equally blessed and counted as worthy. We are new creations. We are absolute equals. Third, we are chosen possessions. We are chosen possessions. Look at verse 12. Put on then as as being God's chosen ones. You are chosen. Sometimes in Scripture, attached to the word chosen, like God has chosen us, uh, we are chosen as His possessions. We are chosen as His treasure. We are chosen to be a new race of humanity that does life differently. We are chosen. That's the key word though. We are chosen. We are chosen. We sang of that as well this morning, didn't we? We are chosen. Uh, Chosen, Ephesians 1 says, from before the foundation of the world. That means long before any of us got here, long before anything got here, God in His own mind had already anticipated our existence and had chosen us to be His own. If you want to look for identity, if you want to find a sense of how God looks at you and values you, think of this. He has chosen you. Whatever else I may be, for good or bad, this matters more than anything else. I've been chosen by Him. New creations, absolute equals, chosen possessions. Number four, Consecrated, consecrated servants. Consecrated servants. This is what Paul means by the word holy in verse 12. We are chosen and holy. Paul is not referring here to our character so much as to our status as those that have been consecrated for God. And that's not a familiar term, a very often used term in today's world, uh, but it's a good word. Uh, to be consecrated means that you're set apart for. You have been designated for God. That out of the whole mass of humanity, there are those who, by God's power and transforming grace, uh, belong to Him, and they are not their own. We are not our own. We belong to Him. And we are not here to do our own thing. We are here to do His thing. We are here to serve Him. Paul puts it like this in Romans 14, verses 7-9, through For none of us lives to Himself, and none of us dies to Himself. For if we live, we live, what? To the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, Christ died for all those who, that, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sakes died and was raised. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you have been bought with a price, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So glorify God in your body. This is fundamental to a Christian identity. I am not my own. It is not primarily about me. It's not, as somebody has said, it's not primarily about God servicing me so much as it is about me serving Him. I am here for His glory. If you are a Christian, this is part of your identity. Consecrated servant of the Most High God. We are new creations. We are absolute equals. We are chosen possessions. We are consecrated servants. And finally, we are beloved children. Verse 12, we are God's beloved. Yes, there has never been a time when God has loved me more than He loves me now. Never been a time when He's loved me less than He loves me now. I have been and so have you, child of God. You have forever been in the heart and mind and love of God. In love, Ephesians 1, He predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters of His. We are Loved. If you're, if you're going through an identity crisis here, if you are a Christian going through an identity crisis, be reminded of this. You are a new creation. You are an absolute equal with everybody else. You are a chosen possession. You are a consecrated servant. You are a beloved child. And if you are not a believer, I invite you to a whole new identity. You can have all of this if you will surrender your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. We humans are all looking for identity somewhere and too often are looking in the wrong places for it. There is no better identity to have than that which is offered in Jesus. So those are the five identity markers that lead to five action items that we're going to move through quickly as well. Let's start, let's start by noticing the action verb in verse 12 where Paul says, put on compassionate hearts. Paul doesn't say here, receive compassionate hearts. He doesn't say, await compassionate hearts. He doesn't say, uh, wait around for or hope that a compassionate heart comes to you in the mail or that Amazon delivers one tomorrow morning to you. Uh, no, he doesn't say wait for this. He says, put it on. Put it on. This is an action verb. This, this means there's something we need to do. I like one translation. Clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves in these things. 
There is action for us to do. There is responsibility for us to engage in and to pursue. The Christian life is not passive. It is, not, it is active. It is not somehow or other wait for God to do it. No, God says that He will help us and God says He will give us grace and He will give us help and that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Yet we must do those things. In Philippians 2, we are to work out our own salvation, not work for our salvation. Salvation is free and a free gift in Christ, but work it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. There is action for us. There is doing for us. But there is the promise of God that He is going to help us all the way through. So what's He going to help us to do? And what are we called to do as those who have this new identity in Christ? Verse 12, put on then, clothe yourselves then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Clothe yourself with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now at first glance, you might get the wrong impression about the Christian life based on that list right there. You might get the impression that Christian virtue is meek and weak as defined by the world. Uh, a guy named J. Upton Dixon, I've never heard of him before until I came across him in some reading this week. He uh, took off on the topic of meekness as it is understood ordinarily in our culture. And he decided, with tongue-in-cheek, he said he decided in behalf of meek and fearful people everywhere that he was going to write a book called Cower Power. The power to cower. Or, he said, he wanted to start a group of submissive people that would be called, the group would be called doormats. And, and the word doormats would stand for dependent organization of really meek and timid souls. But he was only going to start this organization if it was okay with you. The motto would be, the meek shall inherit the earth if everybody's okay with that. And he said the symbol for this group would be the yellow traffic light. I thought as I read that, he obviously didn't live in Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm from New England and New Jersey. Where I come from, the yellow traffic light means something very different than it does for you folks who live here. Uh, where, where I come from, you know, it's, it's caution time, slow down time, stop time. Unless, unless it's dangerous to stop, you stop. Where you all come from here, it's, it's, it's get more aggressive. <laughs> Can I beat this? So that part of this man's plan doesn't quite fit, at least in our area, but you see, that is the impression, right, that people have of Christians, meek and weak and, and, and kind of doormat-ish. 
And if you read this text with all of its description of compassion and kindness and humility and meekness or gentleness and patience, you might get the wrong impression. No, Christians are called. Christians are called to a strength of character. A strength of character that is able to be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient even when everyone around is not. That's what we're called to. Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassionate hearts, tender-hearted mercies. Healthy Christians have hearts that are tender toward the hurting, that are moved toward the suffering, that are affected by the weeping, that are merciful toward the offending. Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassionate hearts. Then he says, clothe yourselves with kindness. Kindness, biblically understood, is a cheerful disposition to be good and do good to others. Kindness is a heart that finds delight in bringing delight to others. Kindness loves to bless, loves to give, loves to be focused on the happiness and the joy of others. Kindness is thoughtful and attentive and responsive to whatever needs are around. Paul says, clothe yourself with compassionate hearts. Clothe yourselves with kindness. And then third, clothe yourselves with humility. And might I suggest that if there is one of these virtues that is most countercultural in our day, it is this one. We live in a world that prides itself on its pride. Humility is disdained. God says, I'm calling you to be humble. Not a false humility, not a fake humility, not a, not a humility that says, oh, I'm nothing and I can't do anything and I got no gifts and I'm just, you know, why am I, why am I even here? That, that's, that's, that's fake humility. This is, real humility recognizes, yes, yes, I have gifts, I have ability, I, I have worth, I have value. But it goes one step further and says, and it has all been given to me by grace. I do not have worth and value in myself. I have worth and value because God has bestowed it to me. I do not have gifts and abilities that are of my own doing. If I have gifts and abilities, it is because God has given the gifts to me. Paul writes in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 3, what do you have that you have not received? You see, if we have abilities and gifts, it is by the grace of God. It is by the undeserved 
favor of God. A humble Christian is a man or a woman or a young person or a child who knows we don't deserve what we have. We have much in Christ, but we don't deserve any of it. But God has given it to us because of Christ and for the glory of Christ in our lives. And we walk in an everyday awareness that apart from Him, I can do nothing, but in Him I can do everything. You see that, right? This isn't fake humility. This isn't false humility. This isn't pretend humility. This is authentic humility that recognizes, yes, God has blessed me, but it is all, it is all, it is all of grace. And Paul says, clothe yourselves in humility. If we were to fill that in with other biblical texts, it would include, do not be boastful or proud. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Do not look down on others, but outdo one another in showing honor. Humility does not look for praise. It looks to praise. It looks to bring honor to others and glory to God. And then Paul concludes or moves on by saying, clothe yourselves, number four, with meekness or gentleness. This is not weakness. This is the strength in the face of offense or grievance. The strength not to be hot-headed or aggressive or malicious in response. It's the strength that resists the impulse to say, I'm going to get even or I'm going to make them pay. And I'm going to get what's mine. Meekness is the strength to face the worst that others throw our way with grace and courage. Please understand because it must be understood, there has been a twisting of meekness that has led many to keep themselves in harm's way. Meekness is not, it's not passively letting others abuse you and, and mistreat you viciously or violently. No, meekness at times in places like that is having the courage the courage to find a safe place and to do what needs to be done to protect yourself and to protect others, but not to do it with raging fury, to do it with humility and with grace. Finally, Paul says, put on, clothe yourselves with patience, with patience. That is further defined in verses 12 and 13. And we will look at this in depth next week. But just to make the connection here. Put on then, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must 
forgive. We're going to come back to that couple of verses next week to see, look more closely at this two-sided virtue of patience. This patience has two parts to it, forbearance, bearing with one another, and forgiveness, Uh, both of which imply, right, that being holy and humble and meek and gentle is something that we have to do very often in the face of people who treat us wrongly and badly. And we need to have forbearance and forgiveness. A patient endurance in our relationships. Not easy, is it? In fact, you know what? Apart from Christ, none of us can do any of this. Uh, This is asking the impossible. And if you're here for the first time and hearing these things in ways maybe you've never heard them before and you say, well, if that's what it's like and what it means to be a Christian, I'm not even going to try. That's too hard. I can't do that. I want you to know two things. God is ready to forgive you for all your failures um, and has already taken on Himself in Jesus Christ the punishment and the penalty for all your failures. And I want you to know that God promises His grace to help you change. These are things we grow into. It's it's not a matter of perfection, but direction. It's It's not a matter of achieving and accomplishing all of this. It is a matter of pursuing it and going after it with the grace and with the help of God. So, as I close, let me just make this point. There's, there's a paradox in what Paul does in this text. He starts by telling us about our amazing identity, right? We are new creations. And help me out here. My, I don't have my notes in front of me here. New creations, and, and we are what? Absolute equals. Conse- we are chosen ones consecrated servants, and beloved children. He, he starts by elevating us. It's kind of paradoxical. It's kind of counterintuitive. He goes on to tell us to be humble and meek and gentle and all this, but he starts by lifting us up and then tells us to be humble. It's, it's kind of counterintuitive, but this is, this is the reality. Those who are our authentic Christians, they realize that in Christ they have been lifted up, but realizing that though they have been lifted up, they don't really deserve to be lifted up, and so God gets the glory. Humility actually grows out of an awareness of our identity in Christ. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive. The more you know who you are as a Christian or who you will become if, if you become a Christian, the more you know your identity, the more humble it will make you and you will walk in love and a sense of respect and honor in all directions. It's this amazing paradox, but it's just the way God works. He doesn't say, be humble to make yourself great. He says, I have made you special. I have given you dignity and honor. Now out of that place of my amazing grace in your life, now go out. Go out and walk humbly and kindly and compassionately 
in a world that is desperately broken and desperately needs people like this. Let's pray. Father, as we consider this text of Your Word, as we hear these words that You gave to the Apostle Paul and, and had him write down for us today, uh, we are stunned by what it means to have an identity in Christ, and we are humbled by the calling that You place upon us. Would You please do whatever work is needed in each heart. Some need new faith. Lord, lead them into new faith. Others need strengthened faith, restored faith, revitalized faith. Please, Lord, infuse new faith with new strength into those who need it. And above all, Lord, may we all realize that while we are called to this kind of life, there is one and only one who has actually lived it to perfection. Lord Jesus, thank You for being compassionate in heart and kind and gentle and humble and patient and forgiving. Lord Jesus, You are, you are the completion and the perfection of all these virtues. We look to You, not to ourselves. We trust in You, not in ourselves. And we want to be like You. Lord, give us grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 It has been a privilege, it always is a privilege to stand in this place and deliver God's Word. Uh, it's a great joy to see a lot of unfamiliar faces here. Thank you for choosing to be here today. I uh, pray you have been blessed and encouraged by it. If you are new to us, if this is your first Sunday or you've been here maybe just two or three Sundays, we would love to have you just kind of meet couple of the pastors over here, uh, just so we can say hi, hear your name, uh, put a face to a name, and if you have any questions or anything like that, I'll give you a chance to do that just for a handful of minutes. Uh, and uh, there's some uh, coffee and I think some donuts or something over there waiting for you. So can I close us with a benediction that God's blessing would be upon us. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you. F we love Sundays. Uh, we love the Lord's Day because it calls us together as your people. Thank you for everyone here. Thank you for your grace to us and the joy through music and prayer and giving and through the Word. Thank you for the joy and strength you've given. Now may all of that joy and all of that grace and all of that strength go with each and every one of us and keep us Lord, until we meet again. This we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.